and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. I've got a special guest, Dave from FX. Wait a minute, Dave, where are you from? Quick Effects, uh, not top. You Thank you. And I've got Devin with me, of course, as always. And we are doing a special two days or two shows in one day. I am still on cold medicine, so my brain is not quite right. Normally I have that intro down, Pat. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, what you're up to, and what you're working on, Dave. All right. Well, uh, with my YouTube channel, I usually am doing film tutorials and DIY stuff. But the last few months, more probably more than a few months, I've just been sort of taking a break from all that, actually using a lot of the equipment I keep talking about or wanting to do reviews and just spending time with it. Uh, the stuff I do for my job is uh, pretty tedious, just a lot of run and gun video stuff. So most recently, I've just been tr just shooting stuff like crazy uh, on a GH4 specifically, the camera that we're using the mostly. So I've gotten hours and hours of time on it but that's pretty much all i've been doing work related for the most part just using what i got <laughs> what about you devin what have you been up to it's been two weeks now since you've been on a show has it gosh it's been a long time i've spilled i've still been buried in uh, a lot of after effects work and post-production and uh man i've been running around doing doing tons of shooting trying out different rigs and stuff like that uh, there's a few more reviews coming out too that I'm working on, as well as um, uh, some. I've been messing around with that stupid 3D printer again because I can't learn my lesson, and so I've been <laughs> trying to get that to work for days on end as well. Have you actually got time. some good prints out of it yet? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I got, I got like um, this is the biggest thing I've printed. What? Uh, which is yeah, but that that was what maybe twenty attempts. So for those <laughs> you, you listening to the audio version, Devin is holding up a giant. Castle, a probably. Castle-looking thing. It's like for a dice tower, like really oh, nice. nerdy. Like you're playing D&D &D with your buddies. You throw the dice in there. Um, making that kind of stuff for fun, just trying to get things tuned in and going. But eventually building brackets because I want to take um, – I still find myself using those iRigs that uh, you had a tutorial on how to hack, uh, DJ, and I've been working on making a bracket so I can more easily attach that to my rigging. So Now, are you printing in PLA or ABS? Both. Ooh, uh, just a heads up and a warning. Uh, if you print in PLA, it is susceptible to high heat, and you could have Absolutely. a melted-down item <laughs> at some point in the future. So especially if you're resting camera gear or anything of even minute value on your plastic, ABS is the way to go. <laughs> Although don't breathe in the fumes. Those are awful. Ugh. Oh, yeah. On Very my end, guys, uh, I just did a show this morning, so you've already heard all the regular spiel. I am sick. I just drank a bottle of cold medicine about two hours ago. It took some Tylenol. I'm moving, I'm awake, and I'm going, so I think it's probably time for the... Time for the news! Time for the news! Time for the news! And we're actually pretty lucky today because there's a lot of freaking news out there. I want to start off before we dive deep into all the news articles we're going to be covering today with a lens. Let's talk about these wide, wide Voigtlander lenses. We've got a 10mm f5.6, a 12mm f5.6, and a 15mm f4.5. Now, the remarkable thing about these lenses is actually the fact that they are capable of fitting on a full-frame camera, which Voigtlander hasn't oh. been quite known for in the past. These are designed specifically for the Sony a7 and a7s line of cameras. Devin, have you looked into these? What do you think about them? Absolutely. Uh, including the show notes is a link to some video out of the 10 millimeter. And I'm really surprised for a company that isn't known for their full mount lenses, uh, how much sharpness is in the corner, how much correction there is for it being 10 millimeters. These are so rectilinear, aren't they? 
I maybe I don't know. Uh, words so over my head. Rectilinear. Uh, <laughs> for those of you not familiar with uh, wide angle lenses, you have fisheye and you have rectilinear. The one I'm using right now is a fisheye, so you can see at the sides you get the barrel distortion where my hands kind of curve. If it flattens out in the corners, they're using uh, recti rectilinear elements, which decreases the fisheye, but also stretches people's heads out in the corner. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking at the video that you just uh, linked here. And, and it's it, rectilinear. It does look as though it is rectilinear, which is a nice improvement if you don't want that fisheye distortion. That's great well, for landscape. Right, as well as if you're doing architecture, other things like that. Uh, how often are you using wide lenses, Dave? I mean, would something like a 10 millimeter ever be something you throw on your camera? No, honestly, GoPro 4 would be my wide angle lens. <laughs> like, that's how that works. And then um, just zoom lenses for the most part. Mostly, that's, I've tried to, I, there's a, an 18 millimeter lens that I have, and it's just sitting on the shelf. And I, I keep trying to find a reason to use it. But for the way, like the way the stuff that I'm shooting and stuff is just, boom. GoPro 4 seems to be the one. But I'm curious about this lens. Is it all just aluminum construction? That's what it looks like. And I didn't get to actually look into this too much. The uh, nice mount. Yeah. Uh, most of these are, are all very solid. And in fact, I've got a Voigtlander back here. Let me grab a couple of them. Ugh. These are all metal, very solid, heavy-duty lenses. Uh, uh, nice. Build and uh, the throw on the focus ring is very good. You probably have uh, 90 or actually probably 180 degrees worth of travel on your ring. Uh, they're designed specifically with manual aperture controls. The special thing about these Voigtlander lenses, these wide angles, is that they're actually chipped. So you do get aperture and focus distance information back into your Sony A7 series cameras, which uh, means that which there I, can be correction in post as far and as And I think lens. that's also brand new for the Voigtlander series, isn't it? I don't think they've ever put a chip in their lenses. It is. It's the one of the first, chips to, or first uh, versions of their lenses to have chips in it. It's still manual focus so you will still need to use you know uh, um, focus speaking or something like that in order to pull focus on this but that is really wide and they are super cute uh, it looks like the lenses are only about uh, three and a half four inches tall so that could look very nice on I know in the pictures body. in the pictures there are two those little dips in the focus ring i like that instead of it just being a smooth kind of uh edge it has those little areas you can just kind of rest your finger in that looks pretty cool. Is that that's for the focus, right? Yes. Yeah, so if you're pulling awesome. focus on these guys, they all have these little divots that really fit your fingers well. And the throw on the focus ring is such that you can turn 180 degrees across the lens, which gives you a lot of uh, subtle movement when you're pulling focus, meaning you can really go back and forth between two objects and use shallow depth of field. This is the uh, 0.95, I think the 25, but uh, these, uh, all of the Voigtlander lenses across the board are made this solid. I will. Ha I do have one complaint about Voigtlanders, and Devin's heard this a thousand times. <laughs> uh, the ones I have are very expensive, and they still breathe a little bit, and they also are a little bit wiggly. Like this portion of it, even though they're all metal, uh, is not quite secure to the body. The 42.5 millimeter F0.95 is really nice and solid, but the 35, I don't know if you can even hear that. It kind of rattles just a little bit, which is unfortunate when you spend $1,000 on a freaking Whoa. lens. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I didn't see um, how much are these, right? What's the retail on these ones, the E-mount? I don't think we got um, prices millimeter. on them yet. I think, yeah, okay. it's yet to be announced. No prices, but I would probably put these in the six to $800 range just because uh, the Kiowa lenses, which are in the same focal length, uh, were released, what, about six months ago? And I think those were 
700 to $800 a piece. So About there, yeah. Yeah, Voigtlander will usually go to the nearest competitor and bump it up a bit. But <laughs> the good thing about Voigtlander is that the price falls off after the first year or so. So if you wait a little while, okay. there's always the discount sale. <laughs> now, moving on down the line, this one is from you, Dave. And uh, I'm kind of interested to talk to you about this. This is a actual camcorder. Uh, you yes. know, not something I've talked about in quite some time. Something I do, I do actually own a couple of the Canon camcorders, which are still nice for random shooting. But what interests you in the Panasonic 4K WXF991, a word and a name that rolls off the tongue? Yes, that smooth name. I know the like I know I like I'm from the old school camcorder days and so I every year I find myself I'll check the Canon site, I'll check Sony and Panasonic just to see what kind of camcorders hand out camcorders. I don't know who's actually buying these. I always think about that cuz even I don't really I have like an older one that sits here and I've never used it just because once you get used to that DSLR sensor, you know, I think of like my 60D or whatever. You, it's hard to go back to a video camera. You just constantly, once you look for it, you see that like uh, chromatic aberration. I think that's like one of the key things whenever I see video cameras. But this one, you know, I watched uh, some of the YouTube videos. I think, I don't know what event came up. Um, the, uh, I guess. Um, I think it was CIP, wasn't it? Something like that. One of those events. But I this camera came up and I just liked the way it looked. It's really kind of rugged. It almost looks like it. I don't know. I didn't read the specs on how waterproof it is, but it almost looks like it would be like a water-resistant body on it. But the thing that stood out was this little camera that's on the flip-out screen. And I'm like, what is going on with that? Is that like a, a second camera? And sure enough, it is a second camera. And in the, the specs on the website that it even gives, uh, they call it the sub-camera. They even give specs for it there. But the two features that stood out on this camera was the this little small camera's available to be set up to be a picture in picture so you can set it up and permanently i don't know why anyone would do this but permanently burn into your master video a picture in picture of your reaction to let's say a sporting event maybe is how they described it in the in the show floor when they were showing it off but that one i was just like wow that is amazing that that's even a, a feature especially one to like really promote but the other thing was a built-in, and I think this whole line, this newer line of like uh, camcorders from Panasonic, feature this what they called like the Hitchcock zoom, which is like that pull. Oh man, zoom, and it's built in like as an automatic feature, That's so you're going to probably see a lot of those effects popping up if people are really using these. But uh, yeah, I was actually more curious of what you guys thought of this camera. I know you don't use these types of cameras that much, but just. I mean, is it, are these camcorders still even relevant, and are these new features going to get you to buy one? <laughs> I'm going to start out by saying I actually own this guy right here, and I'll bring up an image so you guys can see that. It's the Canon XA20, uh, and this camera, the reason it's in my collection is actually because, A, it's good down to about DSLR level of low light performance. We're talking 1600 ISO or so. And it's super simple to use. The zoom rocker is really easy. And it's something that when I'm shooting a feature length film, I can actually hand off to cast and crew and say, film something. And they almost always get something that's usable and not messed up because it has autofocus systems. It works mm -hmm. very uh, automatically. So there's no real thinking on their part. Then I strap a decent microphone onto it and you're pretty much good to go. Uh, the really cool thing about those line of or that line of cameras from Canon is that they're used their five five to seven hundred dollars so 
they're not 4K like uh, some of the other ones out there. They're still 1080p, but they do a great job for what they are. And especially if you're just filming like walk around conventions or something like that, cameras like these uh, do have their place. As far as the uh, Panasonic uh, W whatever 99.1 goes, I would say that the interesting thing I saw in that is a 4K shooting, but also internal image stabilization. Uh, it does have, wasn't that an F1.8 lens on the front of this guy? I think so. I think that's what they, the specs said. And it um, it is a very small sensor, but uh, the previous line of Panasonic camcorders was very capable in low light, even competing with uh, some of the DSLR cameras out there. And with the sensor size in this, I believe this is one and a half inch sensor or 1.288 sensor. Uh, it's going to keep up with stuff probably like the uh, Sony RX100 and Sony RX10, which are, I mean, that's very, very decent. And it's easy to use, and you can put yourself in the corner? What? Mm -hmm. I can shoot myself on a roller coaster, smiling and screaming while you can see the roller coaster action? I, I don't know if that's useful at all. Devin, what do you think well, about this? I, I think that this is, this is a growing trend of uh, camera manufacturers having problems figuring out exactly where their demo is in terms of like who to sell and market this product to. Uh, because buying a dedicated camcorder for doing selfies just doesn't seem relevant when this picture-in-picture -picture feature is included on pretty much every flagship smartphone that's out there. And that's what most parents are going to have on hand when they want to do something like that or, you know, something with the kids or whatever. So, like, stepping that up and being like, well, you can do it on this bigger level, it's more important in terms of those features of convenience. And then on the same time, so much of this is about its post-production that's done inside the camera where it can pan and zoom and do all this other stuff with 4K footage and output a 1080p file. And that only seems useful for people who don't know how to edit. And then once again, people who don't know how to edit, like, typically aren't going to sit here and learn how to edit inside of a camera. So it just it seems to be like a catch-22 where they keep throwing out more and more features because they can't figure out maybe why nobody's buying this. Because uh, I think the only people who buy it are pretty much high school sports and uh, wedding photographers uh, on the lower markets. So it doesn't it doesn't seem that's so I'm always surprised like they keep adding all these things. I remember what was it five years ago they had camcorders that had mini projectors built into them. Were so those you set them good? up on a table? Yeah, yeah. The flip out screen had a little projector on what? the outside of it. You set it up on a table. You could project whatever you just shot. Um, I, all these gimmicky things that, I'm, that they don't last, they don't make it to the next revision of camcorders and everything else. Uh, but I do find their place important. Having low cost camcorders like this go super far. People like discount them. Uh, but when you're doing documentary work and you know, you're say you're traveling super far into a remote area or something like that, and you've got to get some footage, these guys are super small. You can pack a couple of them in, you know, a normal size photography backpack, um, and then hand them out to people who don't know what they're doing. Like, of course, obviously, yeah, if you're running a bigger production, it'd be nice to have the prosumer line of uh, camcorders and, you know, uh, back in the day, the HDVs, and now I don't even know what Sony calls them. Uh, but that prosumer level, it'd be nice, but those are, you know, a couple thousand a piece. Uh, having something like this, you know, could be very useful for people who are trying to tell their story on a budget. And while it lacks the, like, you know, DSLR look and quality that we all appreciate now. I feel like for the most part, uh, if you're doing documentary or something like that, where your story is more important necessarily than the storytelling in a way, and that's, you know, something everyone has to judge for themselves, uh, then something like this is way 
like easier to use. Your shots will be in focus. Your shots will be exposed properly. Things like that for people who are just starting out or working with people who don't know how to do things like that. Uh, you're just going to get a better product overall. So I don't want to discount them. Uh, but what about cleared. found footage? What if you did a found footage <laughs> shoot go. with this? Come on, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So I don't want to uh, discount them, but I do want to say that uh, all of these gimmicks, it's like, just stop. Like, use that money to put better technology in it rather than giving us stuff that no one really asked for. I don't know, man. I think they've maxed out the ability of that small of a sensor, and uh, they've done a really good job with it. The other stuff, like, I actually, when I saw Hitchcock Zoom in there, I was like, ooh, <laughs> I use that all the time. I would love to have that in an easy-to-use auto system where I don't have to have two people running a camera simultaneously. Dave, what about you? Oh, do you see a camcorder as a useful tool? I literally, I mean, every year I'm watching all the blogs and the video uh, overviews of like events because I'm like obsessed with, even though I didn't really come from a film era, you know, I was, I was a kid when film was still relevant kind of, and then camcorders were pretty much my whole life. But I love the idea of being able to have something that isn't my phone that I could shoot video with. And that's where like, I was watching this one specifically, you know, Panasonic with the GH4 and some of those uh, higher end cameras, just really good quality. I was just surprised with the, the stuff that they kind of promoted as really cool features. Um, I'm still waiting. I feel like that just like what Devin was saying, like if a company would just say, wow, you know, look what Kodak did with that new eight millimeter camera or the a Super 8, I guess. Is that what that is? The film camera they introduced yeah. uh, a little while ago. Like just the idea that there's this idea, even if it's like hipsters or whoever we can call it, this idea of like. What just a cool like old school film camera, and if they would just make that's what I want. I just want a video camera Do that you want looks a like digital an old school. Bullocks? Yeah, I mean that's where I, I was almost gonna jump on that Kickstarter when Ooh. it came through or whatever, and I'm like I'm so glad I didn't. But I really look at these uh, camcorders, and it's just like I want something that isn't my phone. I could zoom. It has a couple features. It's one of those things that I think about. Even this one, this one actually. Uh, let's just get the actual full name. It's the Panasonic 4K Ultra HD WXF 991. There you go. With Wi-Fi. Um, if if cell phones never existed and I was like, you know, 15 years old and my parents bought me this camera and I, you know, this is like this alternate dimension where I could do enough editing because I don't I don't own a computer that's fast enough to handle 4K footage, so I can do editing in the camera and I could I could do those cool zooms, you know, like that Hitchcock zoom and some other things. As a filmmaker, like a young person, this would be amazing, you know, like as all in one. It's about $1,000 right now is what they're promoting it as. So I'm like, wow, that would be cool. But you still end up, ultimately, you have to edit it eventually. So uh, that's why I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if that was exactly the question you asked me, but I, I, I'm, I want a reason to buy a, another Handycam. And I just haven't found one. I was just looking at this one and just thinking, I, uh, the, the, the little camera that comes on the flip out screen that's one of the cameras, but you can actually attach three additional cameras with Wi-Fi. So you yeah, can have I three. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm like, I love video production. I have no concept of how I would even use that. So I'm I not like sure, the innovation. I'm not sure the Wi-Fi implementation works in this, but uh, having remote control via your phone, I assume it uses the same image app that you get with Panasonic oh, yeah. controls. So, you know, if you're shooting by yourself... Or you're shooting like with the camera up in the corner or something like that. You could really do some cool stuff with the control that way. And if they implemented like a three camera setup with that, you could maybe even do a round table. Uh, Dave, when you mentioned a classic style of shooting, have you ever considered just putting one of those like binocular grips 
on the bottom of these because the one I hand out, the uh, XA20, I take the top handlebars off of it a lot of times and just put that on the bottom. And it feels sort of like you're running around with an old 8mm film camera. Yeah, and that's something I was, I actually, uh, just yesterday I was on Photoshop and I was like editing because there's some elements to like just a simple, I think of like the Canon Vixia cameras. I like, they're one of the only companies that still make like other colors than just a black kind of like, I call it like a can shape, you know? Yeah. They have a, a couple that are white. I think they used to make blue. Sony did some blue ones too, but that's where it's totally stuff that doesn't matter. It's just for looks, but um this one, I like that, yeah, like to put a handle on it, it would instantly look a little bit more retro, if that's the word. But um, yeah, that's something I think about. But that's where it goes back to then the price point where it's like this camera, the Panasonic 4K, it's like $1,000. And once I feel like once you get past 900 it's like GH4. Just go GH4, even though that's right, a, yeah. a, a huge increase for the quality that you get back. at the same time, uh, when you go DSLR, depending on who's actually shooting, you increase difficulty greatly. So... That's also something to keep in mind, too, is the usability uh, that you're trading for it. Because while you may not get the quality in the look, the usability is super high. And that's why it's always something to consider unless, you're, un- unless you've got time and, and, or you have the skills like us or something like that. You have experience. Then, yeah, it makes sense. Go with a GH4. But also, too, if it's kind of your first time and uh, you're new to the whole thing, having something a little easier to use may get you into making stuff rather than focusing on how to make stuff. I think we're missing one retro feature here, though, guys. What if I put a vibration system on there with a Nikon manual focus lens, turned the camera upside down, mounted it on a Red Rock micro rig, and filmed with this just like I used to film with the HV20 way back in like 2002. <laughs> then you could turn this into a camera that's, you know, the size of a Subway sandwich. You'd get 4K shooting. You'd have manual focus uh, lenses that give you the shallow depth of field that we all yearn for back in 1999. And you would really be rocking a camcorder. No, I'm being ridiculous. This is a great camera. It looks really good. I'm I'm interested to see how it turns out. Uh, honestly, though, one of the things that's coming down the pike and we'll transition with that is stuff like this camera right here. And this is uh, actually three cameras, not just one camera. Nikon is releasing a set of DL point-and-shoot cameras, the DL24-85, to the DL18-50. to And for some reason, I did not put down the other one, which is somewhere in the range of a 500-millimeter zoom equivalent. Now, these are F1.8 to F2.8 cameras uh, with a 24-85 and an 18-55 to equivalent focal range. They're 4K capable. They have 20 frames per second burst mode and pretty much everything that you would expect out of a very high-end point-and-shoot camera. They are using the Sony 20-megapixel sensor and they are only about 650 bucks. Now, it's not the form factor that you mentioned, Dave, but it is a point-and-shoot camera that's capable of 4K. It gives you a lot of the features that you'd see in something like a 5D Mark III or a, a GH4 body or you know a Canon, uh, any of the Canon line. Do you think this would be a camera to go for as opposed to a camcorder? Well, I know I I look at these because I think if you put like a lens hood on it, it kind of extends the barrel of the lens a little bit more. So then you kind of get that length out of it, you know, because those cameras are flat and so they're very wide. So you put a handle on the bottom to kind of give it like that eight millimeter film camera look. But then it kind of looks weird. I guess you could. That's where you could throw like a LCD viewfinder on the back to kind of stretch it out even more. And it would be some use to it. But yeah, this actually does look really interesting. I've never looked into Nikon point and shoot cameras and I know 
the only thing about some of these cameras for as high quality of video that they shoot, they're, they're so small to hold where that's the thing where if you were going to just use it as the camera itself, it seems like they're, they're almost too small. They need to just have like an extra grip just to... Like, uh, I don't know, this one made out of wood oh, right here that <laughs> adds an extra one. handle. Uh, for about 80 bucks, uh, there's a company called uh, J&B Photography that makes some machined wooden handles for most of these cameras. Uh, it's, it's not too expensive. 80 bucks isn't that outrageous. And it gives you the full grip, just like mm-hmm. a regular DSLR. And it moves your tripod mount to the center as opposed to off oh, to wow. the side so it doesn't cover your battery compartment access. I'm holding up right now the uh, Panasonic LX100. Uh, The three cameras that were originally in this range were the LX100, the RX10, and the RX100, and those are Sony products, and then this, of course, is a Panasonic product. The interesting thing about the Nikon DL24-85 is it adds a little bit more focal range. It is about $300 cheaper than the... Uh, Sony RX100 and RX10, and it is fully compatible with all the flash systems that Nikon offers. So if you have a big boy camera and you want to do photography with this, you could literally set this up to trigger multiple flashes and and do any kind of you know uh, creative work that you would normally entail with that sort of setup. Uh, I personally love my LX100, and I shoot on it regularly, so. I don't know where I'm going with this. Devin, I'm going to throw it to you. <laughs> yeah. No, we know that you love the tiny cameras. And I see, because I'm with Dave on this one, where uh, for me, rigging and how I manage the camera is very important. Uh, DJ just likes to hold it close to his chest, and that works for him. Uh, but, you know, it's it's different it's different strokes for different folks. I have a little bit of I'm... rigging. Come on, look at this. There's like a, there's a handle that goes with this, I think. There's, yeah, there's somewhere there's a handle. He never uses it. Uh, so it's one of those where it's just, uh, I, I can agree with Dave where, yeah, these point-and-shoots are tiny. I feel like I need to add some stuff to it in order to get wireless receivers on it or, um, you know, extra power, whatever's needed. So with all that, with all that considered... Uh, yeah, but I think, too, that a lot of us that are interested in DSLR filmmaking uh, appreciate that ability to go big or go small or however you want to rig it up because it's so small and adaptable. And I think that's where, too, where, like, Blackmagic sees some of that because it's a very obvious Blackmagic is still interested in that line of, like, let's make tiny little cameras. Heck, let's not even have a screen on it, which is a little nuts. Uh, but still, uh, it, 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 I think that there's a trend going in that direction. And for those of us who are looking for low-cost stuff and, and we're like, we'll build it ourselves, we'll figure out where we want the screen to be and other things like that, uh, these small cameras are going to become more and more prevalent in our type of shooting uh, You know, f- because they are low-cost, and that does mean they're lacking in features. But you get the advantage of being small. Sometimes that means you're also discreet. Uh, or, and sometimes it just means that it just gives you the ability to pack a lot of gear and go somewhere where if you're carrying around a red or something like that, uh, I think at CES, I saw somebody's backpack that was taking some equipment and they were carrying like a red 6k dragon and a, and, and, and this is like a, you know, F, F, A, uh, F, F, A, A approved backpack or whatever. They had a red, they had like two batteries, they had their microphone and they had a, um, uh, a sound uh, presonus or something like that, a mixer, little two two uh, two channel amp, and that was it. 
that was all that fit in the backpack. Like they had like the, two lenses, a big camera, two big batteries, and a sound mixer, and that was it. And I'm probably man, talking like twenty like pounds, that, man. That's like, I know that'll weigh you in down. In a backpack like that, you could have like two GH4s. You could have like six lenses on top of it, along with a bunch of like a remote. Um, you know, a mixer slash DAC and stuff like that. So wireless kit, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's part of it too, is that, um, you know, there's lots of different ways to shoot, uh, but us that enjoy some of these smaller form factors, uh, that also means more gear as well as being lighter, being discreet, or in DJ's case, having nothing at all except a camera. So Now, I don't go out on a lot of professional <laughs> shoots uh, with my LX100. In fact, none. <laughs> but where the LX100 is taking, taking the, the cake for me is, I want to go out with some friends and we're going to be like hanging out at the bar. I want to film a few things, maybe tell a little story with our event. And I want to do something that is good, gives me 4K footage and gives me something that's usable in post to, to dink around with. I will take this camera with me and when I'm done, I will have good stills. I will have good video to work with and I have everything I need and I'm not weighed down with, you know, a giant 5D Mark III like this monster right here all the the entire time, you know, because if you're wandering around, that weight really wears you out. When I go to a, a regular shoot, if I need to film something that's close up or macro, I do actually grab this because it's so simple to put this on a little magic arm and aim it down at something, film something close up, get it, you know, a product bit or, you know, in the case of shooting a safety video, there's harnesses and things like that that you need to know or show. And I can drop one of these in really quick, shoot it and then move on. And I don't have to dismount one of my bigger cameras in order to do that. So that's where this camera really shines for me. And it'll probably never take over 100% of my shooting ever. But at the same time, you know, 50% of my shooting that I use this for is probably representative of 75 or 80% of a lot of people's style of shooting. Am I, maybe I'm wrong on this, <laughs> but the thing I want to get at here before we move on is how important is form factor to you guys? Because it's not that important to me. It's not, it doesn't seem like as important to me as it is to you guys. So Dave, what do you think? Is form factor the, the most important thing you look for in a camera? Uh, it's, it's one of the main things. Cause like what you said, you know, like it's small. So you think, okay, I'm going to take this with me, but then you add it, add an extra rig to the bottom of it. So now it's a little bit thicker. Now you might need an extra case or a strap to carry it with you because it's a little, it's not going to just slide into your pocket maybe before, but so it is something that I think about. Cause I know like with those smaller point shoots, I'm like waiting for some company to put the lens all the way to one side, just put it way. Maybe there is a couple cameras. I think of like the old cyber shots. Oh yeah. That the lens was way to the left, but then it would be the perfect opportunity to get like a, a built in kind of grip or like an ergonomic uh, position for your hand. But I do. I think about it because if it's going to be a like a run and gun camera that I just slide into a small pouch, I want it to be small. Then in that case, and that was something I didn't notice. Is that Nikon a removable lens or is that a built-in lens? Uh, it's a built-in lens, and that's why they sell three flavors of it because one is a wide to fifty millimeter, one is a uh, twenty-four, which is kind of wide to an eighty-five. So that would be like your walk-around range, and then the other one is a super zoom, and it's like I think it's. 40 or 50 all the way up to 500 millimeters. So that one would be, you know, shooting uh, tiny birds off in the distance or, mm -hmm. you know, nature photography, something like that. Uh, that was the other thing that was really interesting is giving you that range there. Now, Devin, what about you? You, you always complain <laughs> at me about my uh, ergonomics in general. Well, well, yeah. And, and like I said, how's it, that it lunchbox depends. treating you, buddy? Oh, man, I'm getting <laughs> sick. It, burn. Right? Yeah, right. 
Um, no, it, it's one of those where it really, it really depends for me on shoot to shoot. There's so many times where I don't rig at all because the camera is just going on top of a tripod. I'm throwing a wireless pack on top and I'm done. Um, but other times where I know I'm going to be moving around, it's a live venue, it's a stage or something like that. I know that I need to be mobile. Uh, then yeah, I'm, I'm putting something on the shoulder. I'm mounting other stuff to it. I'm putting it in a cage. I'm giving it a handle or two. Uh, because all that kind of stuff is way more important to move quickly. And especially when you're doing anything that is uh, somehow documentary in nature, uh, usability is so much more important than image quality or anything else. I need to be able to pick up a camera and start shooting right away uh, and get the exact shot. So you're I saying want you right want away. a camcorder? Well, a camcorder <laughs> would work amazing at that. No, I mean, uh, the, the ideal, I guess the ideal camera that is like an, an epitome of usability is those, as weird as it sounds, those big bulky uh, ENG cameras because uh, they're amazing with when they, you set something to auto, it does an amazing job because uh, it has really good electronics in it. Every switch is there and you can memorize where it is. It's got a handle on top. It's built to run all day, 24-7. Um, like those, those things are just workhorses. And in terms of usability, I don't need any extra rigging. They fit on the shoulder. They're well balanced. I can take them off. I can hold them in different positions. Uh, they work great for that, uh, and they'll take the abuse. So you compare that to something like a DSLR, no, I got to add a lot of stuff. I got to worry about power. There's like lots of little things that you have to kind of finagle and wire and cable together where a camera like that, you just slap on a battery and you go. So uh, no, like it, it really depends on the shoot, but there's a reason why in terms of broadcast news and everything else where they need to be fast and they can't miss the shot, where they're still using these big, bulky ENG cameras. I mean, CBS is going to a Sony F5, I believe, um, uh, or is 55, the younger brother, 55. It's going to an F55 with a few attachments for their wireless audio systems and stuff. Uh, but the reason why is because that camera is still has all the buttons in some place once you memorize it, so they're always there when you need it, as well as it's kind of got uh, somewhat of a built-in shoulder mount. They have a small ENG kit that they're selling now with the camera. And the reason why is because that is maximum usability. Even though it's big and bulky and we don't think about it, uh, you don't need to attach anything to it. Like the wireless lav is built into it and everything else is built into it and it's just one box you have to carry around. So that's the give and take with the whole situation. Uh, but with DSLR and rigging, you can kind of get the best of both worlds instead of going out and buying a camera for every occasion where you would need a certain type of shooting style. So. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of us get attracted to DSLR, because it does fit into so many of those little nooks and crannies of usability, whether it's documentary or you're going to take your time and you're going to shoot a feature or something like that. So I think uh, Dave agrees with me a lot on all that kind of stuff, because he's usually probably running around on the spot and he doesn't have a lot of time to set up his camera and get the shot. Yeah, and that's something, I, and that's where I, I would like to find out a little bit more. I think it's just a neat name, the Nikon DL, like down low. <laughs> but like, uh, I've, I used to be against touchscreens, but now that I, I have like a smartphone, I'm, I'm completely comfortable, and I, I almost pr I prefer touchscreens, where I want more of these point-and-shoot cameras to operate like my phone, where I push where I want it to focus, or I manually focus it, but I have that option instantly, and that's some of those things I think about too, and I know, like, is this does this Nikon have um, like touchscreen focus and things like that? 
I don't. You know what? I don't I know. Would yes. Uh, the the press release I saw did not specify specifically a specify specifically. Mm-hmm. It did not say that it had a touchscreen, but I think it does. I'm pretty I sure. I think it every does. point and shoot now you assume has a touchscreen. No, no, that's not the case. This guy does not have a touchscreen. You still have to go that's through regular Panasonic. menus. Uh, but this also has a flip out screen. Um, let me scroll through the specs here as you put me on the spot. Touchscreen, touchscreen. <laughs> yeah, and no, it's no touch actually screen. surprising. No. Yeah, a lot of the newer ones, they don't have that. And it's like, wow, it's like at this day and age, I'm like, if you really, I mean, I feel like the point and shoot industry is like or that market's closing more and more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, make those cameras operate more like a phone with a good lens. And then right. it gives me a reason not to use my phone. Because you can, like you mentioned earlier, I don't know if it was online or not, but you were mentioning the iRig. And like with things like that, that I can attach to my phone, then it kind of just instantly takes the place of a camera that doesn't right. need to be zoomed. I just need to get some macro focus and a, some, a little bit of audio. I could plug in an external mic and use my phone. All right. So it is the DL24 to 85 is a touch screen to focus. The okay. trick here that I forgot to mention was actually that the viewfinder is separate from the camera body. So unlike the RX100 where the viewfinder pops out of a little section on the side, this mm-hmm. one you actually slide it into the hot shoe. And that was the weird bit. But otherwise, yes, exactly like you described, uh, touchscreen and so on. So there's the weird viewfinder thing. <laughs> but it is a full-size viewfinder, so, I mean, I suppose that's nice. Well, yeah, it's digital, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Aren't but all digital viewfinders full-sized? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. They're not they're – ne- they never are crossed. <laughs> well, man, I have cold medicine. What? And I know a lot of these cameras obviously are for like photographers. I see every camera as a video camera, you know, and that's where like the viewfinder is attachable good because I probably would never use it. And I've, I've seen, I think, I can't remember the type of camera, but those small viewfinders, I mean, they're really just, I don't know what you're going to see in it. Like if you were going to try to use that for reference to focus or something, it would be, I think, t- kind of tough, but... That's I'm I'm used to a larger uh, like diopter on that. I kind of I don't even like putting stuff up to my eye, so I always either have an external screen or use the built-in screen on my cameras. And I know Devin has gotten EVFs for multiple purposes. Myself, I don't know if it's just a, a phobia or what, or if I think I'm going to get pink eye. But uh, <laughs> I just don't want to stick stuff in my eyeball. And I, I also wear glasses, so maybe that's part of it. And I guess. When I was really young, I got used to one of those rotating. Remember those old cameras where the the screen was on one hand and the uh, yeah. and it was like an L shaped lens on the other hand. I kind of yeah. in in high school, I kind of grew up shooting a lot of stuff on that, and that form factor appealed to me immensely. And because of that, um, in my later days, I still love just having like a flip out screen to look at with no extra attachments or anything. And if I really need to shoot in bright light. I just have a sun hood around it. Is that yeah. your guys' uh, opinion or, you know, everybody's pretty, different than me? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, pretty much. Uh, just like real quick here, because um, <laughs> I, I feel like we've talked these point issues to death. Uh, in terms of EVF, <laughs> yeah, the reason why I have it is because uh, running around in the sun and stuff like that, uh, being able to put something up to my eye, being able to get focused, because a lot of times I am running around with manual lenses. Uh, and, and more reason over the reason for manual lenses, like that's one of the I think uh, the down, downsides of DSLR shooting is the fact that most of the time the autofocus isn't fantastic. I mean, GH4 came a long way, uh, but you compare all those DSLR focus during video systems because uh, I know their focus is usually fantastic in photography, but during video, 
and you compare that to something like a DVX 200. Now I understand DVX 200 doesn't necessarily need to nail the focus because of its uh, sensors uh, like a half inch and everything else. Yeah, and a half an inch sensor, but still. Uh, those cameras would like because they're using infrared and stuff like that would never get confused. They know what they're doing, uh, and they'd hit it uh, every time. And and so that's one of those things where now like yeah, I might as well go manual because half the time it doesn't even know what it's doing. So I have manual lenses. I need to worry about focus, especially if I'm doing low light. I'm gonna have a wider iris and things like that. Uh, so that's why I have one as well as just it's part of that usability. Throwing something on your shoulder. Even if it's kind of in front of you and you can see a screen, that works. You can add a sun hood. That works for some people. Uh, but for me, having it pressed up against my eye, uh, especially if everything's really locked down and it's not just hanging off of a friction arm or something like that, that to me gives usability. Uh, I, it sounds weird. The more I can manhandle a camera, the more comfortable I am and the better I'm going to shoot with it uh, just because that's my style. Because I'll throw it around I th- and uh, you know I throw it on the ground and I pick it up. And it's just I'm so abusive with my equipment. Uh, that that eyepiece provides another point of contact. It allows me to make sure I'm getting critical focus. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that to me is super needed when I'm running around doing a lot of crazy stuff. Like I said, half of my stuff, I just set up a DSLR and a tripod and I set up a microphone and that's it because that's exactly what the client wants and that's what the client pays for. Uh, but there's several other times where I need to be very nimble and fast and I can only I can't carry around a backpack with me and I need to have everything at my fingertips. So that's why I end up like that. Now, speaking of wide apertures, let's talk about the latest iteration of Sigma lenses here. Sigma had the 18 to 35 millimeter F18, which is well respected, well regarded as a very wide aperture zoom lens, probably one of the widest that I'm familiar with. Uh, now they're releasing the Sigma 50 to 100 millimeter f1.8 for APS-C cameras. This zoom is also f1.8 across the entire zoom range. Price is expected to be about $1,000. Uh, I first saw this and thought, man, wouldn't this be great with a speed booster? And the second thing I thought was, man, wouldn't this be great if I was still shooting APS-C? What do you guys think about Sigma's <laughs> F18 zooms. Do you think they're going to continue to fill up the range? Probably. Um, I, you know what? Because Sigma is attacking that market because they. I feel like there is no competition for uh, a good quality lens, a lens that really can perform uh, and is at that kind of price point. All things considered. Uh, yeah, you bring up the speed booster. I see it as being really more of an ideal lens for those that are shooting with a Canon C300 or Canon C100, uh, I think that that's kind of where they're trying to hit. In terms of the video market, obviously in stills, you know, you throw it on a ton of cameras, anything but a 5 Or an or ADD. <laughs> or an ADD, <laughs> that's right. That coming out. Um, so it's, I, I think, yeah. And I, I like what they've done so far. I think that they make really solid uh, products. Maybe not in terms of build quality compared to like a Canon Now, series, back up but... there a second. <laughs> Sigma has come a long ways. And... Oh, no, they have. I think that their performance is way up there in quality. Yeah, but uh, have, you, have you ever quality, used the old get... Sigmas where it, like, it looked like loogies are spread out across <laughs> the entire lens? Like there's just little speckles of paint everywhere. They've cleaned up their design. They've, these lenses are a lot more solid, a lot less plastic than they used to be. And uh, the throw on the focus rings as well as the zoom range rings feel really nice in the hand and optics wise they've done a really good job kind of circumventing some of the classics like the uh, 35 millimeter f14 and the 24 millimeter f14 and even in the 50 range uh, this looks like another awesome lens in the lineup 
Now you. So you've already bought it? No. That's what I. T- no, I'm not going to buy this. I don't. I can't justify this. I have a full set of GH4 lenses. Do not need this. But what about you, Dave? Would you jump on this guy? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I know. I, I look at lenses like this. I do like Sigma brand lens. I have one. I can't remember uh, the zoom range on it, but it it was it was solid construction. And I was like, wow, it's not a name brand that I'm used to hearing a lot of like good stuff about or even anything about. It's not good or bad. It's just like it's always left out of the lineup. It's either Nikon or Canon kind of a thing. But yeah, Conspiracy. it's interesting. The I guess um, is there a Canon lens that this is sort of trying to compete with necessarily? That's where I'm not familiar. Like I guess that's F1, a thing. So there are no real f 18 zooms out there in any of Canon's lineup or Nikon's lineup for that matter. Uh, that uh, usually you see the high end L series zooms from Canon in the f 28 range. So at f 18 you're getting almost prime performance in a zoom as far as aperture is concerned in bokeh. Uh, really gives you the opportunity to knock out the background. It's not aimed, I don't think, particularly at an exact lens. Instead, it's aimed at kind of circumventing your choices and, and making it more attractive as a zoom because it's f1.8. You could buy this or you could buy three primes, you know, and you'd be f1.8 on those primes or you'd be f1.8 on this zoom and you wouldn't have to change lenses. Yeah, I guess. And that, I think the zoom range, at least from my perspective, I don't like that range. Like if it's going to be a zoom lens, I want it to go a little less than 50 millimeter. I would rather it be like at least like 30 even. I'll take 30 to 100 or 30 to 70. But like that 50, you're kind of, that's one of the reasons I don't really use personally a, a 50 millimeter. I just, I don't get that much use out of it because it seems like 35 is around the range that I'm used, I usually end up getting a lot of my shots in. So 50 I guess, I, what would that be? I'm thinking of like bird watchers that want to zoom in. Yeah, 100 wouldn't really, on an APS-C, what's your crop factor? 1.6, 1.5, depending on Nikon or Canon. So that'd be like 160 to like 70-ish, okay, 75-ish. Yeah. I mean, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. So yeah, it would put you kind of in the range of the uh, Canon 70 to 200 full-frame lens, uh, roughly, real roughly. Uh, without quite as much reach. And honestly, 200 isn't quite enough for shooting nature either because it's not quite a long enough reach. You almost need to get into the 300 or 400 range to to shoot you know, animals in the forest or something like that. 200 is more like if I'm at an event and I need to get a celebrity and he's far away, but he's not too far away and I want to fill his head in the frame so that I can show that yeah. he's had like post-surgery scars underneath of his nose. You know, that would be <laughs> where I would go there. Still, F1.8, I mean... No, it's and that's the thing, especially with a speed booster, it, it's fast. It's definitely something I think, uh, you know, even for somewhat ENG to consider because what's it, on the... It's, it, it is a little long, uh, but with our, you know, APS-C sensors without spending millions, you can't ask for a lens that's doing something like, a, you know, a 35 to 200. So uh, as well as like carry around like 20 pounds of lens. But uh, for this, I think it works super well in terms of uh, that running gun and documentary thing. I think that it's totally going to be worth the price. I imagine that it's going to work really well. Um and it's it's one of those that uh, you know you throw if you carry around the speed booster too you get two lenses and yeah that's another five hundred dollars to consider depending on what kind of camera you're hooking it up to whether uh, you know you're trying to fit it onto a Sony you just want the electronics pass through or you're gonna go Panasonic with a GH4 
but, you know, think about that. It's because you can do 80 to 160 with a speed booster, or with the GH4, you've got 100 to 200. So uh, I think that gives a lot of flexibility for where you're going out and you need to shoot some stuff and you don't have time to set up because that's what I notice. I keep reaching for longer and longer lenses the more I run around and do things because the wides are only useful when I get to set up a scene. Even if it's something for news and broadcasts like that, the wides are used when it's kind of a more casual shoot and I'm walking around getting B-roll and things like that. Where when I'm running around and trying to grab somebody and there's oh there's some politician or something like that walking by, somebody's walking on stage or you know the uh, police chief or something like that's walking up to the podium, I'm always looking at my longer lenses and that's what I always end up grabbing first. So I see this being super useful for people like that that are you know more uh, documentary purposes and that 1.8 means better low light. And I think it also means, hey, you could kind of uh, use this for, you know, kind of filmmaking purposes. Because that's why I was kind of looking at the 18 to 35 doesn't reach super far. But at 1.8, I go, wow, there's a lot of use I could get out of that uh, in terms of cinematically maybe, you know, telling a story with it. So I'm kind of seeing the same thing here, even though it is a bit longer. Uh, it's one of those that the price is really hard for to turn down. DJ is going to correct me now with some kind of micro four. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not here to correct <laughs> you. But I, I will say if you want the reach... And I do find myself using a super zoom or telephoto on a regular basis. This is the 40 to 150 with the 1.4x adapter. Uh, I think that knocks you down to like an F4 equivalent for light into the camera and gives you a, a range somewhere in, in the 500, 450-ish down to like uh, 75 or 65-ish. So really a lot of reach, a great lens from Olympus. Uh, this is the 40 to 150 again, and f two eight when you're just using the lens without the 1.4 X adapter. So this I'm with you on that one, Devin, when I have to film an event and I need to cover with someone on stage, it's usually a pain in the butt to get up yeah. in front and get on top of these people. Instead, you know, you put your your camera on a nice, you know, uh, fluid head pan, or if you're really lucky, someone brought you in the nice gear head pan, and uh, you just follow them around the stage nicely, back and forth, and, and you're done, and you, you know, wire into the sound system so that you get good audio. Um, when I'm shooting more personal sorts of things, like a, a feature-length film, I love to have the wide-angle lenses because I'm usually working in a room, a smaller space, uh, in the last shoot I was on, I was in a stinky old barn that was covered in like old manure from the 1920s. And, you know, you, you're, I'm probably three feet away from our actors and actresses on a regular basis, uh, getting blood sprayed all over me and everything else. And so, <laughs> you know, you almost need a wide angle lens. And don't forget, of course, an aquarium to keep blood <laughs> off your camera. But. But with uh, the telephoto, I think that uh, having that reach, even if you end up, say you're at a live event and you're in the pit, uh, that telephoto gets you close-ups of you know the singer-performer's face, and you can fill the frame better, and it gives you all those kind of options. So I, I, maybe it's just me. I, I don't know about you, Dave, but I feel like when it's sit-down and casual, I can do a lot of fun stuff with standard and wides. And then when I'm kind of running around and like I'm not in control of the situation and I'm at the mercy of whatever's happening live in front of me, uh, I've always got a telephoto on. Is that something that you find, too, with your shoots? Yeah, and something I just noticed with this camera, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, I don't think it has like image stabilization built into it at all. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons it's a cheaper camera. I'm not sure what Are you DC, talking about the lens, the 50 to 100? The Sigma, yeah, is that, a, is that an image stabilized uh, No, lens? there's no uh, no IS in this at all. Okay, because so that's, that's one part thing. part of the savings, yeah. And that's something with a zoom lens that I, I kind of 
maybe that's maybe my flaw, but I re- kind of rely on it because it is just no matter how good your setup is, you got that sweet mm-hmm. tripod. It's <laughs> just enough to kind of help just a little bit of the the shake and stuff. And so I, that's more of the stuff that I think about with these zoom lenses. So if I I know thinking of it is nice to have it just in that sense of yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. You can zoom in, but the the lack of the image stabilization is sort of sure. the, the well, downside of this one. For less than this price, if you are shooting with a GH4 while you don't have the speed booster op- option, for less than $1,000, you can get the Panasonic 50-100 uh, f2.8, which isn't a terrible lens, even though uh, you know DJ uh, decided not to go with it. Well, no, 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 no. I have the I have the 35 to 100 millimeter f2.8 IS, and that is a good <laughs> lens. I do not have the smaller third. What is it? Uh, 12 four, to 35. 12 to 35, which I chose the Olympics uh, 12 to 40 instead. Uh, sure. At that range, I didn't need it nearly the IS, but the the 35 to 100, the IS is noticeable and useful. And even though it makes my image soft, I still use it on a regular basis. <laughs> Well, Dave, what are you running around with? Are you are you on the GH4 bandwagon? Or are you uh, doing like Canon T3i? What do you got? Well, right now the GH4 is what I'm using primarily, and it's got the Lumix lens. I believe it's the 14 to 140. If I can't remember the the exact number, but it's that Lumix uh, Super brand. Zoom. Yeah, and I will say on that, I love the GH4. I completely, I just don't like the Lumix series lens. I I miss the <laughs> Canon lenses. But I'm not willing to get the the Metabones adapter. I just don't well, want something else on my camera. So I right, use right, Lumix. and makes it heavier. Do you have the first version of that Lumix or the second one? Because the first one was an f4 to 5.8, and then they did a revision of it and made a 3.5 to 5.6. I think I have the revision. 3.5, 5.6. Yeah, and um, that that would be actually something I'd want to check on. But yeah. And that's I and I think that's something, uh, DJ. I think you covered that. Like I have also the the smaller lens. I think it's twelve to thirty five, and it has it's supposed to be a fixed f stop, and it doesn't. No, it it's flickers. that was the part that got me. I you know I don't zoom a ton, but when I do zoom, the flicker is really obnoxious, and the uh, twelve to thirty five has a lot of flickering because it steps the aperture rings as opposed to uh, rolling the aperture rings. So mm-hmm. each time it goes, it kind of actually it cheats a little bit because it actually pushes you up to almost three for your aperture size, and then clicks back to two point eight as you're going through the zoom range. The Olympus uh, twelve to forty does not do that, so that was a big no go for me personally, and sounds like it was for you too. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and apparently not for me. Uh, <laughs> something to consider though with those Lumex super zooms uh, from. Uh, personal experience because I've had both for a temporary period of time. Uh, the older one that starts at f4, like I felt like had really good build quality. It was nice, big, and solid. Um, and then I decided to go with the revision because I'm like, oh, I want the faster one. And that one just felt cheap and plastic and felt softer. Uh, so that might be something to consider too because uh, I, I went after it for the the speed. Uh, but I feel like I ended up with, even though it's a little bit more expensive, I got less quality out of the glass as opposed to the four. So that might be something to check out too, or anyone else who's interested. Because ideally, on paper, it seems like a really good kind of ENG style lens, being able to go to 14 to 140, and you know, at least getting 3.5 on the wide end. Uh, that's something that's super useful if you're running around, uh, you know, trying to shoot drones or whatever else you do. So, all right, I'm going to pull in the reins here, guys, because we're going rather <laughs> long on this discussion. We're enjoying ourselves. Let's talk about 
uh, clothesline clips, Dave, because you've got yes. a, a bunch of stuff here in the show notes about these these uh, clips that are generic versions. Tell me more about this. Okay. Um, this is actually really cool because um, just me, just I don't do it that often, but I was just on a, a hashtag kick, and I was just searching Instagram trying to just figure out hashtags. You know, I'm always there. I'm like, how are people using these? But I was searching, came across these clips called Bullet X, and I was like, what? And at the time, they were just kind of like teasing towards these things rolling out. Now they're widely available, and they're basically clothespins, also known as C-47s in the production world. But <laughs> they've actually, I would say, like I like to think of it, they reinvented the wheel in a sense where these are specifically made for production lighting use, where they have a unique um, longer nose than a, a typical clothespin, still made out of wood, uh, different springs, and specifically, I know they promote it as a black matte finish, production matte finish. But um, Bullet X is the name, and it's it's sort of a weird name because I don't I would have never come across it other than just finding it was a, a hashtag that on Instagram that was C forty seven no more or something like that, and it was uh, their kind of promotional rollout of these pins, and they they sent me a couple I haven't had a chance to use them, and they're pretty I mean they're cool they're just cool <laughs> I was thinking if nothing else they're actually just really cool clothespins too if you didn't even want to use them for production, but um, I don't I don't really know the production world in this sense as far as I think there's one other brand of like clothespin that's like modified than the typical I would say clothespin that most people are familiar with um that's just pretty square and just uh I don't know what the shape how do you describe that shape but um yeah they're they're really the only company that I've ever seen actually try to I don't know reinvent it in a sense and kind of make it purposeful there's some for... big clip versions of those they're like oversized clothespins that I oh, okay. use for curtains and stuff. And there is actually a proper trade name for them. Unfortunately, I was never inducted into that particular part of the union, so I never got <laughs> the name down. But uh, do these open up wide enough to get along like a full full size like light bar? Yeah, and they, and they have like a lot of their stuff on their website that talk about where um, I've used them just typically for like posting like uh, – filters or, uh, you know, things and gels and stuff in front of lights. And I don't really use tons of high production lights. I know they, they promote it for like Kino flow, stuff like that. I, I mean, for that kind of stuff, they open plenty wide enough, but I know specifically they have different, uh, I guess you'd call them grooves in the top end of them where a clothespin just has one, you know, cause it was ultimately made for just a bar. And then these actually are set up to have a, a second one and, the I don't know how you describe it the radius of how that opens it's like specifically made to be about a half inch open to be perfectly straight if that makes sense I know it's kind of hard to describe um, for people listening but like compared to a clothespin that's not really designed it has a uh, you can see the angle where this one has a straight uh, the bullet X has long story short it's, it seems to grip better on wider surfaces so if you imagine you had something about a half inch thick and you needed to clamp something to it instead of uh, a typical uh, clothespin clipping to it like at an angle like that because it would be completely wide open the bullet x clips straight right onto it so it has plenty of like pinching power i don't know what i was it trying gives to you a little bit force. more opening space so that you can tuck yeah. things into it as opposed to running out of jaw opening space well, and it just it, then it's acting like a wedge basically if uh if it doesn't i i like that so it, it definitely has like double double the size in terms of what it can grip onto uh, is what i'm seeing here and, and you're right the the divots that are made inside of it allow for 
uh, it to kind of clamp onto more and clamp deeper, which is, you know, uh, as somebody who, I don't know, I, I clamp lots of stuff onto different lights. I know, uh, even though I talk about LEDs all the time, I still have a few Aries and some HMIs and things like that that I'm always diffusing. And so uh, having all that, I didn't see this until Dave put it in here today. Uh, and even though it's what looks like about four times the price, uh, <laughs> to me, that's still reasonable because uh, a 40 pack of clothespins is like five bucks and a 40 pack of these guys is like 20, uh, which obviously they're, they're probably making their money on there considering that it's, it's a piece of wood in a spring. Uh, but it's not, it's not unjustifi- uh, unjustifiably so uh, like that gaff tape roller that I saw that was like $300 for a piece of plastic to roll gaff tape uh, cables on the floor. So I, I'm, I've already ordered a couple of these because I'm already like, oh, that makes sense. It's just done. It, you know what? It works for me uh, for smaller things. What and, about these? You know, like, do you guys use yeah, these like sort of? For bigger stuff, sure. But, but I, I've got a bunch of little cute ones. And actually, I, I just go down to Harbor Freight. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of weird. But at Harbor Freight, you can buy uh, just this clip right here for like a dollar a piece or, or whatever. And it's very strong grip. It'll go over most things and they're super affordable and they last a long time. I have a small bag of these and a, a small bag of the bigger ones. And that's what I usually use to hang backdrops, filters and that sort of thing up in the air. Is, is that the wrong approach? <laughs> well, I know. And that's something that I was thinking about because this is like, um, you know, they're painted black. The springs are black. So they're completely blacked out. They have a cool logo. So they're they're definitely outside of the actual functionality. Like they just look cool. But I was trying to think like, okay, so it gets you thinking like, how else could I use this? And I was thinking, and it's stuff that I don't really do it with my productions, which is be like, let's say you're working with like models and stuff and you want to pinch back their clothes. You know how they do that yeah. where they, you, this would look a lot more professional if you're kind of like on that fence or you're like, oh man, I, I don't know if this job's too big for my budget, you know, like where you're like coming in trying to look better. I feel like a couple of these, which is kind of, it's one of those things that's totally trivial, trivial, but it it looks like you know what you're doing a little bit more, if that makes sense, other than just bringing in a wooden clothespin. I got some bullet that's... X's here, some C47s, man. <laughs> yeah, let me get that bullet X. But yeah, the name um, bullet X, it's, it's not, it doesn't really, you're probably not going to come across it by accident. You're going to have to purposely go out and look for them if you're going to search them out. But it, They don't even have anything on, uh, on YouTube, which I was kind of surprised. If you search bullet X on YouTube, nothing comes up. Yeah. Uh, and- this this originally they sent this out uh this clip here um a couple of them actually just for me to try out that's what's really cool i was like in an email with the company i was like oh these look so cool i just like the idea that they're innovating something but all right before we move on guys i want to throw this in here the free two-day summit from cine summit this is a bunch of directors 10 directors total offering up their experiences their information and a lot of other stuff it's free on march 1st and march 2nd you can find it at dslrfilmnoob.com slash cinesummit. They've done all kinds of things in the past, including cinematography and everything else, and now they are doing directors. So 10 directors, uh, five different directors each day, March 1st and March 2nd. Swing over to dslrfilmnoob.com slash cinesummit to check that out. Now, before we get out of here, Devin, I want to talk about the FS5, which I was a little grumpy on when we started the show because the image quality is not led to as good of a camera as we thought it would. But they've fixed this with version 1.11 of the firmware update. That image you posted here in the show notes still looks kind of sh- shitty, honestly. Uh, what do you think of it? What do you think? Have they gotten better? Uh, no, no, no. I think I, – I don't know what your qualifications are for a decent image. We are talking about like a 400x um, zoom and saturation and everything else to try to pump up the noise. But what was clearly happening 
uh, is macro blocking, in which there was a, uh, I guess you could call it a grouping of pixels that would act as like one piece of grain, uh, is the best way I can describe it, where it will flicker just like grain would, but instead of it being one pixel, it would be like 50 pixels all grouped together in splotches. So you'd have these flashing splotches, uh, which were most noticeable during shadowed areas or low light. Turns out this was some pretty aggressive, I guess, settings for Sony to put on their noise reduction, and it was happening before it entered the EVF, before it left for HDMI or left for the record medium. So it was definitely during the processing uh, before it went anywhere. And I, I like the fact that Sony admitted that, like, yeah, uh, this was a little bit screwed up here. And uh, this is, you know, something that uh, we're addressing and we're trying to fix. I like that Sony is, you know, uh, communicating with people who have these issues. It looks like for the most part, they just tone back those noise reduction settings. And uh, the problem has gone away, which is great to see, because it's something like that that's kind of prevented me from really considering this as a camera. Uh, I think the quality on it's great, and I think the low light is a step above most DSLRs, uh, and that's why I would kind of consider this as a main uh, camera or main workhorse for a lot of my productions. Um, but because it's not, you know, something that looks like a point and shoot, DJ's not interested in it as at all. Whoa, whoa, but, whoa! <laughs> but Dave, harsh. Dave might be interested in something like this. Have you have you considered maybe something like an FS5 or uh, you know, if Panasonic came out with another AF100? Uh, or who else has got something? Sony's got some, or not Sony. Don't forget um, JVC. C100, C300. JC300. <laughs> yeah, and that too. So uh, is that something that you would use? You know, I and that's actually until seeing like these show notes and actually looking at this, I've never even really thought. I guess it's probably because of the price range. It's like that mm -hmm. five plus thousand dollars. So at that point, it's kind of out of the type of productions that I'm usually I'm working on. But I do, I like, um, yeah, I definitely, it, 35 millimeter sensor. It, right? I like, yeah, it's pretty neat. Like I would say that's where it goes back to is the hand grip adjustable. Is that what I'm yeah. seeing? Okay. Yeah. Like that thing. I, I like the idea that they fixed some of the issues. I think that's always a good thing, but like, uh, yeah, I like that ergonomic grip. I'd, it's funny because, I, and, I, and this is sort of maybe goes back to, if I feel like at this size, I wish they would just go and look at camcorders. You know, I think of like the VHS camcorders that sat on your shoulder Yeah. and realize that that viewfinder that they have available, instead of putting it on the back, put it so it flips out the side. I guess I know most people, mm -hmm. like DJ was mentioning, they don't like to use their eye and put it up against stuff. But I, if it's going to be that big of a camera, I'd prefer it just has a built-in shoulder mounting setup. But, yeah, this camera definitely looks really interesting for sure, especially with that 35-millimeter well, I mean, sensor. That, and, and that's the thing is that the, the FS7, it, because of its bigger size, they kind of put a built-in shoulder grip for it. Uh, as well as I think, too, a lot of the options come with actually rails for relocating that grip. Uh, though the FS5, as far as I see, does have a relocatable grip, but you got to figure out how you're going to put that together on your own. It does have rosettes in the front, so I think it's pretty easy to do. But, uh, yeah, it, you're right. They put the monitor on the FS5 in kind of a weird position uh, because you're not going to be able to really use it like that. You're going to have to move it somewhere else, but I guess you do have the advantage that in one way or another... Uh, you can wire it and kind of mount it somewhere else. Uh, but, yeah, like, you know, if, if you're not going to put in a useful spot uh, for it to be shoulder-mounted, then you can just compact it and kind of put it off to the side, too. So, Do you know if it's still suffering that. from that weird thing where it could only record and send out one stream, so you lost the monitor if you had an external recorder? Uh, 
No, yeah, it still has that issue, and that has to do with the number of scalers in it. So that's not something that can be fixed with firmware. Uh, they made a workaround for it, as far as I know. Uh, it's one of those that, I don't know, I don't consider it critical because if I'm using the video output on it, I've got something better than uh, the internal screen it's going to be using. But you, you can consider it as basically that screen that's on it is plugged into the HDMI ports or uh, what have you, HDSDI out. So as soon as you plug in something else, you're overriding that. Uh, and I don't necessarily expect it to... It's one of those that it shouldn't have happened I think it's not that hard to distribute, redistribute SDI because it's digital. It's a little different if we were talking analog video back in the day uh, because an analog system requires a lot in order to redistribute the stream and be clean. Yeah, plus your but DB losses of, and stuff. Yeah, but in terms of ones and zeros, I'm like, man, like, you know, it's not that expensive to sit here and duplicate streams. That's why, uh, you know, an SDI multi-box, you know, costs nothing because all it is is just redistributing the ones and zeros. So, yeah, it would be nice to see that, but to me, that's not a showstopper because I'm probably not going to use that monitor if I have something else uh, externally hooked up to it. I guess if somebody was using one of the cheaper Atomos Ninjas that doesn't have a screen, I could see that being a problem. Uh, but that's, I think, a very narrow case, and it wouldn't bother me. But you are right, DJ. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's also, you know... I would never hang this off of anything and use it <laughs> as a monitor because it is the ugliest freaking monitor ever, and it's heavy, it's bulky. Uh, the Ninja 2, no thank you. I know, um, seeing this Sony, I will say, if I had, like, $6,000 to spend compared to, like, the C100, this thing completely kills it. I mean just in the sense that it records in 4k but just it offers all the same things and then um just i i mean i personally i guess i personally like sony i've always had always have for years but well and, and not just that but imagine how much fun you could have with the 240 frames uh that's something yeah. that the canons don't do they don't believe in high speed they're like you get 60 and that's it but on the other side the c100 from canon is down to like 1800 dollars used on ebay and that's oh, even okay. That's even with the AF system upgrade for the dual pixel AF. So at that price, you know, I was like, I was making fun of the D or the ADD in an earlier episode. And the reason mm -hmm. is, is because $1,200 or for $1,800, you can get a freaking full fledged video camera. And while I never really loved the uh, C100, it, it's a perfectly good video camera. It has all the features that you'd want out of a video camera, and eighteen hundred dollars puts it into a reasonable price range. And that's the thing. And I, I guess it goes back to I know, like just seeing the, the layout of this. And I know that Sony wants to have these higher end models, but like I, I see this Sony FS five, and I'm like, man, if they could just make, like, I think of um, like a two thousand dollar camera that had the exact same setup that was just this type of a layout you know what i mean where it could i could change lenses but i could have some of the ergonomics of a video camera and not have to transform like uh what is it the the i'm thinking of the sony camera that with the super low light the seven i'm like lost the for words. a7s yeah the a7s where it's just like a photo camera that obviously everyone's using for video I would just love to see that price range of a camera that looks like that. At least they've gotten away from that really ugly box form factor that was in the FS700 and FS100, <laughs> which was just a hideous square that you had to sort of like build every kind of adapter in order to that, get the dang wow. thing to work. That was not usability. That was where cages were mandatory just to add things like a top handle and a shoulder mount. Because something that huge, and the screen's in the back too, so the screen is useless as soon as you want to carry it around, unless you're going to hold all that weight in front of you. 
uh, that was just really bad designs. But you want to talk a bargain, though, man? Look at the price on <laughs> the FS seven hundred U. I mean, four K capable, thirty five millimeter or a super thirty five millimeter sensor. All the stuff you're seeing in these newer cameras and three thousand uh, dollars. Yeah. Even though it's ugly as hell as far as form factor is concerned, and it's the most like ridiculously designed camera I've ever seen, uh, it is still. Three thousand dollars, and it's it's still a top performer too. It's still something to be considered. Oh yeah, you see it out on shoots all the time. The seven hundred uh, people will work that for another couple of years, easy. <laughs> well, they paid for it in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and I know the stuff that I think about and probably worry about is stuff that really is useless. Where I I still think about what it looks like, just because I'm out on a shoot, I'm thinking there's possible other clients that in the audience or whatever. You know what I mean? There's scouts out there. No, there's you know like people you're working with. They have friends that own companies or whatever, and it's like. It is kind of like what you were, you were, you held up that crazy rig DJ, and it's like, yeah, at one point that stuff was like kind of like acceptable, but now I feel like I don't know. It probably still is acceptable. People probably don't care as much as I think they do, but I like I like feeling like there's not cords and stuff hanging all over, and I have some like homemade. It might be look professional because it's like you know all. Ah, uh, yes, the old cords. matte box argument. Yep, the matte yeah. box. <laughs> but I, I think about that a little bit, and I know it's probably not stuff other people worry about as much, but I, I'm always, like, thinking. Now, if style is, is the, your thing, how do you feel about the Pin F? Um, let's see. I don't know if I know that one. Describe it to me. That's the super sexy, like, leather veneer, uh, all silver metal uh, Olympus lens, or Olympus body that's a Micro Four Thirds camera, and it's just all sexy, and I mean, I'm I'm Jones for it just because it looked like as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh man, that and would that would go like great a, with my T-shirt. I, I have this T-shirt that looks, says, you know, Godspeed you Black Emperor, and I'd love to have that hanging in front of it. And if I'm looking at the right one, yeah, that is actually it has the the, the classic silver with the black um, faux leather wrap yep. around it, like a photo camera. Yeah, I do. I noticed that that type of camera. I was actually looking at something like that, like, oh, I wonder if I could make that retro style with a handle and make it look like an old film camera. But yeah, and I know that's the stuff where I'm not trying to argue it. It's like, I know it's totally a preference because it's just like, ultimately, I still want high quality. And I always think whether or not I ever use it, I want to see if it has an audio input. I always look for that. Does this little camera have an audio input? And so, yeah, I I worry about random things. (laughs) All right, on that note, guys, we've covered quite a bit today. I'm going to skip the DJI story. Uh, Dave, where can people find you? Um, Knob Top is the YouTube channel, and uh, that's pretty much I hang out there. Uh, there's, it's been a while between videos, but, yeah, search it out. Knob and Top. Devin, where can people find you? Uh, you can just find me on Twitter at DevoCut. <laughs> and at uh, devocut.com is that is that right sure yeah that too all right uh and you guys can find this podcast on soundcloud itunes anywhere podcasts are distributed you can find me of course at dslrfilmnoob.com and at dslrfilmnoob on twitter you swing over to youtube one lone dork channel or dslrfilmnoob channel i own that one too because uh you know bad branding uh anyway thanks for listening thanks for watching this was episode 87 and we'll see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR, Film Noob, Here's My Dog, Podcast.